0: Good morning. morning. Well, it sure is good to see you, and good to be back. Today I want to talk about Bible study, uh, and I want to tell you why. Uh, Before I started these seven weeks away, I went through a three-day conference uh, to teach me training, teach me how to... um, lead inductive Bible studies. I've been researching this for years, trying to figure out, how do we do this? How can I do this? And I found this place where I could do it. Maybe you've heard of Precepts Ministries International. Uh, That's where I went. Um, They're not the only ones who do inductive Bible study, but you don't hear a lot about them. A lot of uh, people don't do them. Uh, I was sharing this with my daughter, and she's been part of a inductive Bible study with a lady named Jen Wilkin. Um, somehow women are, seem to be a little further ahead than us men with these inductive Bible studies but I'm also grateful to, for these three days I spent at the feet of Jeremy Lucarelli. he was our trainer who, who taught me how to do this also Matt Chandler and other resources that I read um, over the summer if you're not familiar with inductive Bible study let me share you how precepts uh, defines it and, and, and maybe it will make more sense I put it on the screen as well The fundamental principle of inductive Bible study is to study the text of Scripture first and refer to the works of others second. In this approach, individual time spent observing Scripture to know what the Bible says and using sound principles of interpretation to understand what it means should culminate in personal application. Although the individual study is the first step, high value is placed on the group discussion of what has been observed, sharing insights of understanding and and application so that confirmation, clarification, or correction is made in the fellowship of others who have also studied. Verbalized understanding helps seal truths in our minds, and sharing application encourages us to greater obedience and holiness. Simply put, with inductive Bible study, there's no middleman telling you what the Bible says. You read it for yourself. You study for yourself. You discover it for yourself. And that's not to say that that one Bible study method is the only way. In fact, I would encourage you to think of it as maybe a good, better, best. And I would say an inductive approach is among the best. So to prepare for this um, three days of training, I had to do a study. It normally would take like 12 weeks, so I did all that study on the book of Philippians, preparing for that. And the first day we spent just going over how do you lead this kind of inductive study. And the next two days, we broke into inductive Bible study groups, leading a group. And, and I will say, I had been studying the Bible for my in, in teaching for my entire adult life, and it was so intimidating to be videoed and coached. And critiqued uh, by my trainer and also by my peers, uh, but it was so so good. I told the elders that when I return, I want to talk about how can we as a church uh, offer these kinds of inductive Bible studies. So I hope to share more about that in the coming weeks. Um, during this time away, I didn't teach anywhere, I didn't speak. I really spent the time just resting, relaxing. Um, I did some of my own study. In fact, I started another uh, inductive Bible study on my own. But I came to be convinced of this more than ever. And I put this on the study guide it's on the screen. Followers of Jesus must study the Bible for themselves. If you are a follower of Jesus, you must learn to study the Bible for yourself. And let me explain why I make that statement. If you've been part of a church, or maybe grow up going to church, or just, you know, maybe for the last five years, ten years, you've been a part of a Bible class, and, and, and if you add to that, if you went to a Christian school, that's K-12, through 12, or maybe a Christian college, you've been in even more Bible classes, and yet none of that guarantees you know the Bible. We'd like to assume that. Look at all these Bible classes you've been to, but it's not necessarily so. A friend who was a physician told me that in medical school they had a saying, see one, do one, teach one. There was so much to learn. You didn't have time. So you would watch somebody do a procedure or an operation or whatever. Next, you're doing it. And the next, you're teaching it. And doing it in that way for yourself, it cements it into your mind. You remember it more. But if you go through decades of just hearing someone Tell you about the Bible, and you're not studying it for yourself. For one, you're getting secondhand information, and number two, your retention rate is almost nil. You just don't remember. It's not your fault. It's just the way it works. Somebody else is just a talking head. You just don't. You may talk about it at lunch or later that day, but this time next week, you've already forgotten it. Let me share an article by Albert Mohler, the president of Southern Seminary in Louisville. It's called The Scandal of Biblical Illiteracy. It's Our Problem. Here's what he writes. Researchers, researchers uh, George Gallup and uh, Jim Castelli, put the problem squarely. Americans revere the Bible, but by and large, they don't read it. And because they don't read it, they become a nation of biblical illiterates. How bad is it? Researchers tell us that it's worse than we could imagine. Fewer than half of all adults can name the four Gospels. Many Christians cannot identify more than two or three of the disciples. According to data from the Barna Research Group, 60% of Americans can't name even five of the Ten Commandments. No wonder people break the Ten Commandments all the time. They don't know what they are said George Barna, president of the firm. The bottom line, increasingly, America is biblically illiterate. Multiple surveys reveal the problem in stark terms. According to 80% of Americans, God helps those who help themselves is the Bible verse. Those identified as born-again Christians did better by 1%. A majority of adults think the Bible teaches the most important purpose in life is taking care of one's family. Some of the statistics are enough to perplex even those aware of the problem. A Barna poll indicated that at least 12% of adults believed that Joan of Arc was Noah's wife. <laughs> Another survey of graduating high school seniors were, revealed that over 50% thought that Solomon and Gomorrah were husband and wife. A considerable number of respondents to one poll indicated that the Sermon on the Mount was preached by Billy Graham. We are in trouble. This generation must get deadly serious about the problem of biblical illiteracy or a frighteningly large number of Americans, Christians included, will go on thinking that Sodom and Gomorrah lived happily ever after. It's kind of funny, but it's kind of sad, isn't it? The original date that this article was published was June 29, 2004. Fourteen years have passed. So question, has this gotten better or worse? Yeah, I think it's gotten worse too. Churches today struggle to get their members involved in meaningful Bible study. And the culture is shifting all around us more than ever. We need to know the Bible. Let me share a story that I think illustrates this well. Jen Wilkin told about a woman who, after like a woman's study, came up to her privately and asked a question. Here's the question. Why does God allow children to suffer? Because the Bible says, suffer not the little children. And she said, obviously there's a problem deep. There's a pain. There's something going on in that woman's heart that she asked that question about children suffering. But before you even address that, the obvious is that she's quoting from the old King James, actually I should say misquoting the old King James. Because that's not what Jesus said. You remember the, the, the context of that? In Jesus' ministry, the children were kind of everywhere, all over him, to the point where the disciples were shooing them away. And so Jesus responds: Suffer the little children is the way it were, is worded there, meaning allow them to come. But in her pain, in her moment, in her ignorance, she misquotes. A verse from archaic language to say something she wanted the Bible to say because she was in pain. And you wanna know the rest of the story? She mentions this to this other lady after class privately. She was a minister's wife. And I share that story because I think it illustrates this is not a new convert problem. This is not I didn't grow up going to church problem. This problem is at every level. Just because you're in Bible class doesn't mean you know the Bible. Just because you've been in church all your life doesn't mean you know the Bible. And there may, be, there may come a time like this woman where you are hurting deeply and you're just grasping for something. And for her, she was grasping for an untruth. And it was causing her to have a moment that was shaking her faith. One author I was reading quoted a a well-known Christian author, I can't can't say the name, you'd recognize it, but had totally misquoted a verse, totally out of context. If I told you the story, I won't for time, but uh, you would go, oh my goodness, how could you ever say that verse says that? It was about, should I marry or not? And she just kind of found this random verse. And the sad thing about that, if you've ever been a part or know about the publishing business, any kind of publishing, the number of eyes that look at it, to read it and reread it, to edit it, find the mistakes, go back, draft it, all that, before it gets to production. And from a Christian angle, then you've got all these Christian eyes looking at that as well. Nobody caught it. And what's worse, if it's one of our favorite trusted Christian authors, we buy the book and we read it, we assume it to be true. We are in big trouble. But lest we judge too quickly, we can fall in the same category. What I know is all of us in this room have been a part of Bible study, okay? So I know that. I'm not taking it, uh, that uh, for granted. Our own time reading, devotion, Bible classes, because we know it's important and we want to do that. So this is not because we don't want to, this is not because we don't try, this is not because we don't care. We do care. So as I talk about this, I want to share some less than approaches to Bible study. And I want to say from the beginning that I didn't write any of these, but I think I've done all of these. And so I share these because I think you have too. I don't think that I'm the only one. So I don't share this as much as an indictment, as much as it is a confession. And I want to encourage us all with this too, to kind of, let's help each other with this. Um, here's the reality. Not all approaches are equally beneficial. And some approaches to Bible study can actually be hurtful So let me share a few, and you maybe come up with others. The first one is this, is when we look at the Bible as it is a book to help me feel better. And you could call this the Xanax approach. "I'm hurting, I need help, I want to feel better, so you look to the Bible. You're in an anxious moment, and you think, "I need a word from the Lord about, about being anxious." and you remember Philippians 4:6, "Be anxious for nothing." Or maybe you're in a time where you're discouraged, you're feeling worthless. You think of Psalm 139, 14, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Oh, that helps. Feels better to read that, doesn't it? Or maybe you're just tired. You're burning the candle at both ends. You're exhausted. And you remember Jesus saying in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden. And you're like, yes, that's me. I'm weary. And I will give you rest. That's what I need, Jesus. I need a nap. But that's not what it's talking about, is it? I'll give you rest for your soul. The problem with this approach, there's so many, but mainly it treats the Bible as if the Bible is there to make you feel better. Like it's your medicine chest. You got a problem, you open it up, and it's going to fix things. We're asking the Bible to serve us. Rather than approaching scriptures as how we can serve the God it proclaims. Because here's the truth. The Bible doesn't always make you feel better. There are verses that do, and we love those. They're circled, underlined, they're on Pinterest. We've got those. But what about this one? Jeremiah 17 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Does that make you feel better? The Bible is basically basically saying you're a wicked rat. It doesn't help you to feel better. And yet that's part of Scripture. See, if you just study the Scripture that gives you the warm, fuzzy feeling and you skip all the others, you're missing out. It's a terrible way to study. I've done it. You've done it. Well, I I say, I think most of you have done it. It doesn't work well. Here's number two, a pinball approach. And by this, I mean you pull down the kind of like your plunger of good intentions and you let the Spirit guide that silver ball to go where it may. And we use that approach to Bible study. Maybe it lands in the Gospels. We like that. Jesus talked to me, you know. It bounces over Leviticus. Oh, let's move on. You hope it ba- and it bounces on to somewhere. I like Psalms. And so it's kind of that bouncing. And it sounds spiritual. Let the spirit guide the ball wherever it lands. We approach the Bible that way. Well, what's the problem with this approach? Well, number one, and just basically, the Bible was not written to be read that way. The Bible is a book. A book of 66 books, but it's still a book. I can't think of any book that you would read like that. So you just bounce around here and there and think it helps you to understand the Bible. Imagine you're about to start school, students go into school, especially like a math class, like algebra, and day one you just flip over to chapter five and you study that paragraph as it opens. You meditate on it, you try to absorb it. And the next day you jump over to chapter eight and you do the same thing you study you read you underline keywords and then you jump back to chapter 3 think about it, if you did that all semester long how much algebra are you going to get when it comes time to the final exam there's no hope because we would never approach even a common textbook like that we know you start at the beginning and it builds We understand that's the way the Bible is written in a specific time, by a specific author, for a specific purpose, with a specific message. You don't just jump around. This pinball approach only yields a fragmentary knowledge, an incomplete understanding. We feel like, oh yeah, I've studied that book, and we have studied in it. But we really don't grasp it. Well, number three is the magic eight ball. Any of you have a magic eight ball growing up, you know what I'm talking about? The little ball and it had the little window at the top and you'd ask, think about a question, you'd shake it and it would say yes, no, maybe, whatever. We can approach Bible in the same kind of situation. So we start that as a child, but we kind of bring that childlike thinking. We're in a situation, what should I wear Friday night? Should I take this job? Whom should I marry? Well, let's go to the Bible. And we don't shake it. But we kind of approach the Bible in that same kind of setting, like I want a word from the Lord. So what's the problem with the magic eight ball? Well, number one, the Bible is not magical. Never claims to be. We're not told to think of the Bible that way. The Bible, for one, or another one, is the the Bible is not given to serve our whims. Kind of like the Xanax approach. That is not the purpose of the Bible. But rather we are to read the Bible to know who to become. Who to be. Think about this too. If we approach the Bible that way, we are coming really close to saying, God, I need to look into the future. Do you remember what the Bible says about that? And the punishment is Stoning. It would be very dangerous to think about Bible study that way. I think there's something else at play when we approach the Bible this way. We know we need wisdom. God says, I will give you wisdom. The Bible tells us that. And so we go to God, God, I need wisdom. But sometimes we say, I need wisdom, but really what we want is not so much wisdom as we want answers. We're in a situation, we need to know what to do. I'm in this dilemma, I'm in this situation. And we want God to tell us what to do. And we'll talk about that more in a moment. But think about it like this. Think about a parent-child relationship. When a child is born and a toddler early on, the parent makes all the decisions for them, has to. Here's what you eat, when you eat. Here's what you wear, lay the clothes out. Here's what you can do and you can't do. But that can't continue all the child's life. If your high school senior comes in the kitchen for breakfast and says, Mom, do I have cereal or eggs or toast? Dad, i got to go to practice. Should I drive the car or ride my bicycle? The mom and dad are going to look at each other and go, we have failed. Because as a parent, you don't continue to make all the decisions for them. You teach your child how to make a wise choice based on the facts they know. And when you think of Bible study in that same way, you don't go to the Bible and go, God, tell me what to do. I need an answer. I need a word from the Lord. I've got this dilemma. Yes, No. That's not the way the Bible works. That's not the way Bible studies should be approached. Why would we not understand that God wants mature followers who've moved from the milk of the word to solid food? The magic eight-ball approach does not work. It can be dangerous. Here's number four, personal shopper. You ever heard of a personal shopper? So you don't like to go to the mall, you don't like to shop, so you pay somebody else to do that for you. You know, they pick out your clothes. They're even doing groceries like that now. You know, you don't want to go to the grocery store, here's the meal all in one box. I don't have to do that. They're your personal shopper. We do the same thing. We can do the same thing with Bible study. I think I I need to study something. Like maybe I want to know about faith or I want to know about forgiveness. I need to know what does the Bible say about managing my finances. I want to do better with that. But I'm not sure where to begin. Where do I find verses about that? Because I can do it on my own, but I might miss some of the better ones. So who could help me with that? So I'm going to let, and we insert your favorite Christian author, speaker, teacher here, and let them do the work for you. They compile the list of all the study verses that are about that. Now, that's called a topical study. And a topical study can be good. In fact, it can be very good. If you're studying a doctrine or about faith or about finances, it's a good way to study. There is a place for them. But I am saying there's more to Bible study than just topical study. Here's one reason why. If somebody else is doing all that work for you, you're not going to remember it. You might read of their work, their message, but you're not going to remember it. That topical study, it takes passages and attaches them to a topic. Contrast that to a textual study where as you go through the passage, it introduces you to that topic. Well, here's the problem with their approach. When it comes to Bible study, it's so easy to let somebody who knows much more than me to do that kind of compiling. But if all you ever do is topical Bible study that somebody else did for you, you are not discovering the truth for yourself. That's the challenge. And you're missing so much. Number five is the telephone game. Do you remember playing the telephone game as a child, small group of you? You have this statement, you whisper into one person's ear, and it goes around the room, and then the last person shares the statement, and it is so ridiculously different from the original statement that everybody just burst into laughter. How could this statement end up like that? Well, it's funny and playing a game, but it's not funny when it comes to Bible study. But we do it all the time. I do it. Maybe you do it too. You're reading through maybe a a commentary or maybe your favorite Christian author, and you're reading, and they're quoting from Augustine, who's quoting from Apostle Paul. And think about what's happening. What you're reading is what someone said about what someone else said about the Bible. You're getting second, third, third, Fourth hand information. Now, I'm not saying that it's wrong or taken out of context, but it's just that. You've got second, third, fourth hand information going on. So, what about this approach? I want to make sure we get this. With technology today, we have access to all kinds of commentary. When you think of commentary, I want you to add your, in your mind, think of commentary as that big old book that has commentary in the title, and that is a commentary. But a commentary can also be a Christian book that you read. It can be an article. It can be a blog. It can be a comment someone makes in Bible class. If you've got a study Bible with that little paragraph at the bottom, that's commentary. It's somebody else telling you what the Bible says. And commentary, again, can be a good thing. But here's what happens. We tend to have our go-to. You know, I read the Bible for myself and I get tripped up. I don't know what it means. I get confused. And so this person, they make it so easy to understand. And so we tend to go to that person and we read what they say the Bible says. And before long, we're spending more time reading commentary than we're actually reading the Word of God ourselves. I've been guilty of that. I don't think I'm the only one in the room who has. And here's number six, last one. And there's more, but I'll just stop with this. Jack Sprat, the Jack Sprat approach. Jack Sprat could eat no fat. His wife could eat no. lean. remember that? What does that mean? Talking about picky eating. We do that with Bible study as well. I like the New Testament. God is a lot nicer in the New Testament. It's smaller, you know. I understand it better. You know, in the Old Testament, some of those laws and, and that, that, that boring history, a lot of fighting and killing. I, I, I like the Gospels. I like to read what Jesus says. That makes me feel good. When you get into that doctrine and some of those epistles, not, not, not so much. Prophecy, oh, I don't want to go there. Can't understand it. So we have that picky eating approach to do the same thing with Bible study. What's the problem with this approach? By its own definition, how much of the Bible is inspired by God? All of it. So how much do you think those of us who study, how much should we study? All of it. It just makes sense. And I will say I've been studying the Bible for 40 years, and I'm not there yet. What are the implications of this? I'll just share very quickly. You've been to a Christian bookstore and you see there's a women's study Bible and there's a men's study Bible and there's a couples getting married study Bible and there's a teen study Bible. And I think maybe there's good intentions there, but I'm thinking, no! There's no pink and blue Bible. All of us need to know what the Bible says about marriage. All of us need to know what the Bible says about being single. All of us need to know all of the Bible. Now, again, I'm not trying to be hypercritical as much as I'm stepping back going, What are we doing, people? Let's think about all of this. Why do we fall for some of these approaches? I was studying through this going, Oh, it's me. I've done this. I've done that. Here's what I think I think it's just like when you're scrolling through Netflix, What do you want to watch? What do you want to watch? What do you want to watch? Or you're going through the cable guide on TV, You know, What's on? What do I want to watch? we tend in our Bible study to be attracted to, to want to go to, to what touches the heart, kind of kind of where we are in that regard. Remember Jeremiah 17, 9? The heart is deceitful above all things, desperately sick. Why would we let that be an indicator of how we decide to study the Bible? You ever gone through a time of crisis? And your feelings, you know, are just not to be trusted. Because you're in that moment that's not good. So what are we to do then? Well, what the Bible says is to renew our minds. You love God with all your heart. Love God with all your soul. You love God with all your mind. Folks, I believe that begins with you studying the Bible for yourself. You learning to do that, you spending the time, you making the time. Look at Romans 12 too. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, the good and acceptable perfect will of God, the renewing of your mind, the path of transfer, transformation that we want. God, help me. I don't want to be my old self. I want to be a new self. I want to be like you. Well, how do you do that? The path of transformation is through the mind to the heart. If you want to change what I love, then you need to get this: the heart cannot love what the mind does not know. Let's say that again: the heart cannot love what the mind does not know. And the best way I know to illustrate this is with food. Have you ever had a love relationship with food? You know what I mean. There's maybe a certain item, like you like the certain Coke. And not just like I like coke, I, I like it from this restaurant, from their fountain. And so you would go out of your way. You would make your time to go and get that Coke. Okay? Or maybe it's a dessert, or maybe it's fried food, or maybe it's ribs. You know, that's your favorite. And so, you know, you're going on vacation, it's like, where we're gonna eat, where we're gonna eat. It's all about the food, you know, because you got that love relationship with food. And then something happens. Satan came up with that nutrition label. Right? And now you're drinking that cup of Coke or maybe that Starbucks drink. And you read what's inside. And you realize that one cup has enough sugar for the day. Do you know how much fat is in ribs? Look it up. I'm going to tell you. You get enough fat for the week. I don't know why it's called a meat. It should be considered a fat. Like Crisco or others. And here's what happens. Now you know. Now I know it's loaded with sugar. Now I know it's loaded with fat. Now I know it's got all those cancer causing things in there. And so what do you do? You keep on drinking and eating it. For a while. But the joy has gone. Now you know. You can't unknow what you know. The heart. Cannot love, for the mind does not know. Once you know, you desire the better thing. And over time times that just, I just can't drink that anymore. I want to eat that anymore. Because now you know. Psalm 37, verse 4. is a verse that may be just one of those top ones that are misinterpreted, misquoted, misapplied. Delight yourself in the Lord. He will give you the desires of your heart. That's one of those Xanax. Ha ha, sounds good, doesn't it? Delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you what you want. Well, how hard is that, right? So we think, let me find some way to demonstrate that I love God. I'm going to go to church, you know. I'm going to do good. I'm going to give sacrificially. I'm going to, you fill in the blank, and then God's going to give me what I want. Except that's not what the passage is teaching. What he's saying here is the one who delights in the Lord is going to be given new desires. That's what he's saying here. You grow to want what he wants. Some of you are eating foods now that you never thought you would eat. It's because now you know. And you know it's better for you. You feel better. And so now you desire what is better. I share that because I think it illustrates how our shortcut to Bible study fails us. We may not see it at the time, but we look back and go, oh, that's why I'm overweight. that's why I don't have energy or why it crashes or why, and the list goes on and on. We need a reason, faith. We need a thinking faith. You want to know what I learned over these last seven weeks? I sure it already. All of us, if you wear the name of Jesus, you need to discover truth for yourself. Not just go to church another year, not just go to Bible class another year. You're just a year older. You may not be a year wiser. You may not know any more Bible. So the question is, how are you studying the Word? Are you spending the time, are you disciplining yourself where you are in the Word studying? Or is it a neat little package where somebody else tells you what the Bible says? You go, oh, that was good. I like that. I'll hang on to it for as long as you can. But it's hard to hang on to that as we talked about. Let me describe it like this. Jen Jen Wilkins used this illustration. I thought it was pretty good, so I'll share it with you. She said, sometimes we tend to approach Bible study like a debit card. Start the day off, I need a little bit of Jesus, so I'm going to put a card and take a little withdrawal. Give me a little nugget, Jesus. Tell me what to say. You know, forgive your enemies. Turn the other cheek off. That's good. I'm going to hang on to that. That's good. That's good. And so we approach Bible study like that, like I just need a daily withdrawal, my time with Jesus, and that's good. But a better way to look at it. It's not like a debit account where I just get a little bit of Jesus in the morning. But think of like a savings account. With a savings account, it works like this: you spend an hour in studying the Bible for yourself. And you're not approaching this Bible, say like I need a verse to make me feel better. That's not your approach at all. You're in chapter two. You start in chapter one, you're gonna work way right to the end of the book, and you're in chapter two, studying through, trying to grasp the meaning. What is God saying here? What is the word saying here? And all the while, you're not taking small deposits out to make you feel better, to get you through the day. You are instead banking into a savings account. These eternal truths that you read with your own eyes and understood with your own heart. And so that balance grows. It's like King David said, Your word I've hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. That's what I think he's talking about here. Have you ever been in a situation that is so bad, so traumatic? It's an accident, it's a diagnosis, it's horrible news, and you are just shocked. You're just trying to absorb it all. And you can't think straight. You don't feel like praying. The last thing you want to do is engage in Bible study. You're just numb. What are you going to do? I believe, I'm convinced more than ever, that's when God takes that savings account of eternal truths that you have made. You've studied them for yourselves and they're down deep and He wells that up and He refreshes your soul. When you can't pray and you can't read, He is there for you to sustain you. Because you've not approached Bible study like give me a little quick verse to get through the day. It's something deep to help get me through life. And so the question then is, how's your balance with your study? What's in there? What can God use? What have you hidden in your heart to keep you from sinning against him, to relying on his promises, all that he says is true? This week in the, in the office, a lady came by, and she would had a hard last several months. Let's just say, if I said the name, you'd know her. I don't have her permission to share, but... But I was sharing this idea with her. She said, that was me. Because there was a time where I couldn't read, I couldn't think, I couldn't study. And God brought to mind things that I had studied long ago. Let me close with this. The Bible is a book about God. You know that. But I'm going to tell you that again. Never get past that. The Bible is a book about God. And I say that because sometimes we don't read the Bible that way. We think the Bible is a book about me. God, help me. Help me. I need help with this. God, help me. The Bible is not a book about me. The Bible is a book about God. Let me remind you of a Bible story you know very well. And I want to see yourself in this. Remember the burning bush in Exodus 3? Where Moses had run for his life, now he's tending sheep, and God appears to him. Remember that. So he sees this burning bush, a theophany. There's God in this burning bush. God speaks. Exodus chapter three starts with verse six. He says to Moses, "I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob." It's like Moses, I know a lot of waters gone on the bridge. A lot of things have happened. I need to make sure you know who I am. I am God. And then in verse 10, he tells Moses what he wants him to do. I want you to go get my people. And you remember Moses' reply. Yes, Lord, your servant listens. And he goes at once. No, he doesn't. Have you ever had a moment when you are in that moment of Christ, if God would just tell me what to do, I would do it. If I could just hear an audible word from God, Randy, say yes to this and no to that, that's what I need. God, could you make it happen? I would do it. You know what I would say? No, you wouldn't. Because we're just like Moses. Moses heard God say, I am God. I want you to go to Moses get my people out. You know what Moses said? Five times, but who am I? But who am I? But who am I? And every time, God doesn't say, Moses, you've got this. Moses, you can do it. I believe in you. He doesn't say that to Moses. Do you remember what God says to Moses every time? Every time Moses rebuffs with a butt, God says, I will go with you. That's what he says. That's the message. Moses was hard of hearing. He wasn't getting it, but he finally got it. When you see that Bible of yours, Think of it as your burning bush. And it's God telling you that I am God. From beginning to end of the book, that's the message. I am God. And if you wonder why in this world there is so much confusion today about identity and relationships and what's right and what's wrong, things we weren't even thinking about, 10, 20, 30 years ago now it seems to be everything's very all this confusion knowledge of God and knowledge of self always go hand in hand there is no full knowledge of self without knowledge of God that's why it's a book about God it's not about a book about you it's a book about God and how do you live for him John Piper said this if you want to hear God speak read your Bible if you want to hear God speak audibly, read your Bible out loud. It is your burning bush. It is God's message to you. And he's is going to burn over there. But you have to decide if you're going to walk over and open it and discover the truth for yourself. You know, our... Message, our theme, our mission—we've talked about for years now—is being a completely committed follower of Jesus. We know, as we've studied, what that means. It's sacrifice. It Means saying no to the things we love, and yes, the things we love more. It means being given financially. It means serving who are not in the mood, or we don't think they deserve it, or or it's just so many hard things, tough choices. We know that it's hard. Why do we think Bible study is just going to happen? You live long enough, and God's just gonna open your head and bop, it goes in. That discipling, to be a disciple, is a learner. And that disciple, another related word is discipline. You've got to make the effort. You're not just gonna be another year, another whatever, it's you've gotta spend the time. Sometimes we think it's the preacher's job to make it easier to understand for the rest of us. It's the elder's job to feed the plot. The Bible says that. But here's what's happened if you totally rely on somebody else to tell you what the Bible says, all I can say is good luck with that. Because more often than not, it doesn't work. What works is when you discover the truth for yourself. Let's pray. God, you are an awesome God. And you've given us this book, your word, not to worship, but to study, to learn who you are and who you are calling us to be. God, give us a desire, a hunger for you, for truth, for righteousness. Help us to want to discover that truth for ourselves and then hide it in our hearts and to know that you will always be with us. Father, help us to want you more. It's through Jesus we pray, and amen. This morning, if we can pray for you in any way as a church family, to encourage you, maybe it's something you're going through, maybe it's a sin problem you need to confess, we are here for you. If today you're ready to confess the name of Jesus and have your sins washed away in baptism, the water is always ready when you come. As we stand and sing, to encourage you.